Tell You What, the podcast, where we talk with musicians, songwriters about the craft of songwriting, music making, all of it. My name is Mike. Our guests on this episode are Kara Luft and J.D. Edwards, who make up the Canadian duo Small Glories. I had a total blast getting to know Kara and J.D. We were lucky enough to have them stay here with us at Tell You What HQ for a couple of nights. We had some late night discussions, long coffee walks, fun meals, They put an amazing show here at the studio, and then, eventually, we sat down to record this episode. They had a lot of great insights into their process. I won't take up too much of your time here, but let me say this. I cannot recommend enough that as soon as you are able, make an effort to see the Small Glories play live. The show they did here was literally the last live, in-person show I attended before everything, everything went haywire, and I could not have picked a better one to tide me over. They had this building shaking, their energy, passion, musicianship, the amazing harmonies you won't hear elsewhere, hilariously entertaining between song stories, they completely won over a packed house. Kara and JD have a true generosity to their performance. It's hard to put into words, but we were all feeling it that night. In the quarantine meantime, you can watch one of the live broadcasts they are doing via the internet, etc. They did one... The other night via Facebook Live, it was really great, and these shows offer a fun way to support sideline musicians. Let me also say that the passion Kara and JD display in their live performances also applies to their creative process. When we talk about the backstories and our discussion to a few of their songs, you get a real sense of their commitment to the song creation process. In fact, as JD tells us of the fictional characters in the song Long Long Moon, You can hear the emotion in his voice as he discusses their story. It's really something. When Kara and J.D. were here, they had just been nominated for several Juno Awards, which are Canada's version of the Grammys. A couple of weeks ago, the Small Glories did indeed win several of these coveted awards, including Vocal Group of the Year and Contemporary Album of the Year for their wonderful album, Assiniboine and the Red. It's a great record. I have the vinyl here. It has been on repeat. The song you hear playing before and after this intro, Oh My Love, is a personal favorite. You all should check this album out. Okay, enough from me. Here's our Tell You What discussion with Kara and JD from The Small Glories. Kara, JD, Small Glories, welcome to Tell You What the Podcast. 
Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much for taking the time today. Let's set the stage very quickly. We're here to tell you what Epiplex, high above the teeming metropolis of Evanston. <laughs> Last night you were here and did a, did a show for some people that was, uh, well, I may have struggled to find the words for it, but it was remarkable. People were uh, blown away. It was great. We had a little party, but now it's the next day. <laughs> we, had, we had a little party. We had a little party. Now it's the next day. It's a little quieter, and we're going to have a, a discussion, right? Great. A discussion. It sounds like we're in trouble or something. <laughs> we need to have a discussion. There were some things about... that happened last night we haven't discussed yet. Oh, so. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, you guys a rowdy bunch of people here <laughs> yeah. last night. There were, some, uh, yeah, there were some people we need to talk to, but uh, no one is in trouble. We're just going to have a lovely chat. Awesome. So thanks for, for, for taking the time. Let's go back in time a little bit. Let's talk about your musical backgrounds, early influences, what brought you to music. Um, Kara, I understand your parents were folk singers. Yes. And you grew up in a musical home. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, I, my parents, um, they performed professionally as a duo, but my mom actually performed professionally as a, as a duo with her sister, with my aunt, when they were teenagers and, and even younger than, I think they started when they were like 10 or 11. Well, my grandfather toured uh, as a guitarist in a jazz big band, and my great-grandfather toured as a vaudeville tenor singer. So on that side of the family, there's this whole line of people who have been doing music for a very long time, both professionally and unprofessionally. Um, and my dad, uh, he really got hooked into the... The folk revival, you know, Hootenanny era stuff, and really into social justice. So Pete Seeger and the Weavers and, and so groups 50s, like 50s, 60s, 50s, 60s, yes. yeah. And he uh, decided he wanted to learn uh, clawhammer banjo. So he studied with uh, a fella in, in New York State in the mid 60s, and just kind of became known as a, a folky guy in Calgary. Okay. And um, and then when my parents got together, um, they toured regionally because they both had normal day jobs as well with the school board um but perfect job you had your evenings off and your weekends and your summers um but one of the things that i really appreciated about that upbringing was hearing live music in our house on a regular basis um either my parents rehearsing together or with other groups that they were playing with um, but also concerts that they would host in the house. And you and I chatted a little bit earlier about my parents started doing house concerts in the early 70s right. and just cramming people into our basement, which was a you fire said like hazard. like 100 people. It was crazy because it was this big, <laughs> huge space. Um, but as a kid, to kind of have that exposure at such a young age, if that was normal for me and realized as I got older that wasn't normal for most people right. of, you know, my age. Um so being exposed to live music, meeting traveling musicians, um, getting carted off to the folk clubs, to the festivals, uh, and also going to church. You know, we went to church and sang in church all the time. Right. So just kind of music was a real big part. We didn't have a television, so for fun, huh. you would listen to records. And, you know, for Christmas, we got our favorite vinyl, um, or my dad would go on a trip for whatever reason, he'd come back with a record for us. That was kind of like... Not having a TV is kind of remarkable for yeah, it was, that was our in, generation. Yeah, generation. Um, and just being introduced to playing instruments, so whether we were really good at them or not, was kind of irrelevant. It was more like, here, you need to play an instrument. Right. So auto harp and dulcimer when we're really young, because those are a little easier to play. Mm-hmm. And then I played a little bit of violin, but really wanted to be a guitar player. So that's the, I started playing guitar really young and... And performing? Performing with the family, like okay. doing family band stuff. I started performing um, solo when I was about 14. And 
various folk clubs I'd do the open uh, either open mic or to get invited to do an opening set you know do three or four songs right and just kind of learning about um, songwriting I was writing songs quite young too as a teenager so 14 15 you were writing yeah songs. I was writing songs already I already had a little cassette that I would that a lot of the artistic directors at various folk clubs had mm-hmm. and encouraged me which was kind of cool right but I just music was just a part of part of my life so you grew up in a family where music was encouraged. At what point did you see music as your as vocation, vocation as opposed to yeah. something you did? That's a good question. I I just assumed when I was growing up that I would always play music, but I assumed I would do what my parents did right? because they had jobs. So I thought, oh, I'll go get an education degree and follow in their footsteps, have a steady income, and be able to play music on the side. So there I was in university, I think my third year of education and going, oh my gosh, this is not at all what I want to be doing. Um, and I couldn't see myself in a classroom uh, as a teacher. So I, I quit university when I was about 22. And the harsh reality of, of what that's like, not having a degree to fall back on, doing lots of odd jobs, but also on the other side, getting all these incredible opportunities as a musician that stumbled, like I stumbled upon or were, were offered to me that I was like, okay, this, I really need to pursue this. Okay. And um, so from about age 22, 23 on, I yeah. started doing music full time. Any of those songs from when you were 14 or 15 that you wrote part of the, part of the canon now? Yeah, not now necessarily, although there are fans that saw that me. Yeah, because I did record a few of them in my first EPs when I was in my oh, early okay. 20s. And so I have a couple fans who have those albums. Yeah. And they were like, well, are you ever going to play those songs again? I'm like, oh, my God, I was really young when I wrote that. But um, it's kind of neat to look back on your catalog of of songs and how you've changed as a writer. And, you know, I was like, wow, a couple of those songs are actually pretty good. Well, yeah. I must have been channeling something because I wasn't I was pretty, you know, wise for a youngster, but I was still young. Yeah. And you write from that, you know, kind of navel gazy perspective a little bit, but. Yeah, I feel very fortunate to have had that exposure at such a young age. Mm-hmm. And um, well, you and I were talking today, just even on our walk, about music and art for the sake of music and art. Whether right. it ends up being something that you do as a profession, it just has to be part of your, you know, being. I guess, and I, I, I feel that that's been the struggle for me now. Um, that it is. The profession that there's so much involved with running this business right. that has nothing to do with creativity, and that's something that actually JD's been really encouraging me at is like, you know what, you need to just play music, you need to write, you need to just do make this, space just for make that. space for it. And other artists are saying the same thing. It's like get off the computer and don't get so caught up in business in the business because that's a really easy trap for me to fall into. Is like, okay, I have to make sure that everything's running smoothly for us. We have these opportunities. We got to da 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 da. But what about going back to the source and going back to what really it's all about? Yeah. So. Well, JD, how about you? Your 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 early years. Well, much like Kara, my house was filled with music too. Although, uh, and and much like Kara, my my parents uh, had real jobs too. Uh, <laughs> my dad was also a teacher. Okay. Uh, and mom, mom was a teacher uh, until she had kids, and then she was pretty much a you know full time mom until uh, I got to an age where I didn't need uh, 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 you know 
24-hour surveillance. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, but so you were like 19. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, when was that? Oh, I just, yeah. I just yeah, She's just signed off the other day. Um, no, but we went to church too growing up. or and, and, and that's where music, where I was introduced to music. Okay. And where I was introduced to the, the power of music and how music can make you feel. I still have memories of of sitting in the congregation and hearing all of the people singing with all of their various voices. And, you know, there's always that old lady who sort of holds the note a little bit longer. <laughs> and, and, but, I mean, and, and those were wonderful things. And I, I, I still remember, like, shivers uh, of hearing that music and... and and, and knowing and how it made me feel. So, and of course at church there was various guests who would come. My mother, um, she played the piano and the organ and she sort of led the choir. Okay. Uh, my father would, uh, he would get up and lead the congregation and congregational hymnals and singing and stuff. So there was that. And then we would always, we would, I'm the youngest of three. We would go up and sing together at as church. As a family unit. As a family unit. And I, one, I remember I was, I was just a kid and I was, I had the really high voice and I remember I had to like look up at the ceiling to hit the high notes <laughs> and, uh, and I remember kind of liking it and kind of hating it too yeah. um, and, and all that but um, music was, was definitely a big part my, my parents introduced me to a lot of mostly um, gospel music and, and choral music and and I, I have fond memories of my father um, uh being in his office, uh, marking math tests and working on school uh, curriculum and whatever mm-hmm. in the next room, and and it would be quiet, but he would he would always have the classical radio on just to, just enough mm-hmm. to hear it, and I just have fond memories. Of course, he always, of course, I always tell about how my dad watched uh, lots of PBS, <laughs> a lot of uh, English television, so I can remember theater. hearing Masterpiece Theater going on downstairs and loving that, and mm-hmm. and they introduced me to the the Canadian Brass, which were a famous. Um, five-piece brass uh, they group in Canada, and they were incredible musicians. They would do one set full of classical music, and then the second set would be all of the popular music of the day, and how amazing they were, and I, I became a big fan of Gene Watts, and later I did, learned how to play trombone, was inspired by that, and uh, played all through, like probably from grade six or seven, grade eight, and then all through high school, and then I went to university. Trombone. Trombone. Okay. And uh, and kind of like your kids to your youngest, how I was forced to play piano and hated it. <laughs> yes. And and my parents at that point, you know, being the third kid, they're like, just do whatever you want. <laughs> yes. And um, uh, and then stop. But now I kind of regret. I, I I wish they they kind of cracked their whip a little bit more on the piano. But um, mu- yeah, music. I, I went to university and and um, and started uh, doing music full time. I, I I played in the symphony and the orchestra. I was in a community jazz band. I was in a quartet and quintet. I did a lot of solo trombone work. I joined a big rock band as the trombone as player. a trombone player. And there was a singer. I remember there was a singer in the band and. He was horrible, and so I say, "Hey, like, like can yeah. I have a have a shot at it?" And then everyone's like, "Okay, you're the singer now, JD." And I'm like, ah, yeah, that's fine, and uh, and it was a lot of fun through through university in those days, and then and I eventually moved to Toronto, 
and uh, continued music. And uh, at that point, I learned how to play guitar very much like Kara in sort of my early teen years and, and, and was writing songs. I started writing... Um, my first songs that I would I were writing, I, I was going to church. I was in a youth group, and so I had remember had this one youth leader who who encouraged us to do music and encouraged us to write. So a lot of the music that I started writing in the early days was was very uh, not gospel, but it had that you know Christian, Christian themes and stuff like that. And then uh, did you were you writing with the trombone at this no, point at all, or always with the guitar? No, oh, I I was writing songs with the guitar yeah. and. But but, but when I when I went to school for university, I, I played. I you know that movie Whiplash. It's yes. about a drummer who goes to school. A lot of that movie is kind of crazy and not really like school. But some of it was in the in the sense that I would play music all day. I would go to sleep with my trombone next to my bed. Wake up, mm. I'd play horn all day <laughs> and go to school and do this and that and play until I had to go to bed and then do it again and again and again. And I did that a lot and. Um, and it was a lot of fun. I would often put on some cool music and try to play along with it and stuff like that. I wasn't I wasn't writing a whole bunch on the trombone, but reading a lot, learning a lot of jazz, classical music, and everything else. Right. But writing with the um, guitar. But writing with the guitar. And then when I was in that this big old band in university, started. It was like a big ten piece band. Yeah. We were writing horn lines and, okay. and doing stuff like that as yeah. in the horn section. So. And, but and you were writing band. folk songs on the guitar concurrently with all of this. Yes, I was writing songs for that band I was writing songs for my I was still a solo artist so I would do that and then when I moved to Toronto that university band kind of died I started another band I was doing solo stuff and working odd jobs and I was a a cook for many years and I went to school again in Toronto to do uh, music management Mm -hmm. ended up working in a an internet radio station which was kind of really cool at the time and and, and you know, expanding my uh, my musical interests that way, and um, so uh, by that time, I was into pretty much every kind All of music. Of really, I even worked for a heavy metal guy and got into that <laughs> a little bit. Right. Went and saw Slayer when I was young. That was <laughs> insane. Uh, yeah, but you know, like those days were, were great. I was influenced by so much. Everything from well, everything from Slayer to Maceo Parker right. uh, to Bruce Coburn. I was a huge Coburn fan mm-hmm. and, and everything it goes on and on I, I, I didn't really push anything away uh, I didn't really get into that screamo metal that shit's crazy um, but, uh, maybe, maybe in the future I wasn't as I wasn't so angry what is no. it? you weren't angry enough I wasn't angry no, enough I wasn't no. I was never really into Nirvana I remember when it was huge right? oh. and I was like eh. yeah. anyway I'll I get it now for that. But music's always been in the forefront of let's let's jump ahead a little bit so you to, to summarize a long period of time, you both went out and were doing your thing musically with different groups, individually, solo careers. Eventually, you found your way to each other, right? I had the impression that you got together maybe for a one-off type project yeah. and then realized that there was something there that maybe you should try this again yeah. and it turned into small glories. So I'm sure you've been asked this a million times, but what do you think it was about that collaboration that made you think that there was something there? Can you kind of try and put that into words? I feel like we discovered that when we started singing together, there was something special and unique there that perhaps we had never come across before in our mm-hmm. past. Um, we both have had, had um, groups that we, we sung with other people 
and there was always harmonies. But when we sang together, there, there seemed to be something that, that really fit really well and connected really differently than perhaps some of these other projects. Um, I think... Maybe? Yeah, no, totally. I think when... So what had happened with this project or with this one-off thing, we were partnered together. So we didn't even... We were forced we were for you didn't choose to no work we didn't choose to and it wasn't that oh my god i have to work with it wasn't that it was just this the way that the evening was set up was that they purposely paired people off who wouldn't normally sing together okay. which was kind of cool in itself it's oh, like really oh cool. awesome you know jd and i kind of knew each other really casually not really super well and when we were doing these rehearsals um i remember thinking that exact thing that that's oh i would never have thought that this vocal connection could would happen so instantaneous and i remember we were working on a song and jd was just naturally going somewhere and i naturally followed him and then i naturally went somewhere and he followed like it yes. we didn't really even have to um talk about it so much like you you still we've worked really 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 hard mm. to at this you know up to this point we've worked really hard at getting getting in sync with each other but i think the natural um, following the other person, JD is an incredible melody, melody singer and an incredible harmony singer, as am I. So right. it was that doesn't normally happen in groups that you have people who are both instinctually kind of able to follow the other person and swap parts. Yes. Um, and I also think part of that is our church upbringing, like singing in choirs, singing in the family. We just were, we just knew that instinctually. Um, and also our vocal range. JD has quite a high um, voice, te- more in the tenor range, and I technically have more of an alto alto range. Though I can, I'm starting to go a little bit higher. So in terms of that, like, there's a special. I feel like with the male female um, voice, when they're so close together, there's a tension that is quite phenomenal and powerful that you can get that you don't always get right. if you're singing. Uh, all female, for instance, or if you're singing a, a male voice that's quite a bit lower and a female voice that's quite a bit higher, we just seem to have that where where our voices end up. It, it's a sweet spot. It's a sweet. That's exactly it. It's a sweet spot. And I remember just kind of being a little overwhelmed and pleasantly surprised by how natural it was right off the hop. Hmm. Let's talk about collaboration in your songwriting. Um, this probably has, there's probably different ways to answer this because the songs probably come together differently, but what is generally the process about how you write together? Can you talk about that a little bit? Generally, there is no specific way. (laughs) Right. I I don't know if that sentence makes sense, but, um, (laughs) we, I think we look at each song individually. We have a saying is that we, you have to serve the song. So there is this song. These are the lyrics. This is the melody. Now we're going to we're going to put put it. We're going to mash it through the the small glories filter. And when we do that, we try to we try to line it up the way it makes sense for us. So in our past, we have brought songs from our individual uh, past. Okay. We've brought covers that we really appreciate, and we. And, and we um, write new arrangements for them. And the songs that we have written, it, it's, um, we, uh, we, try to, we try to get a melody going and then we try to get um, the harmony on top of that and, and really make it 
we don't really, we also like to not really necessarily back each other up in the sense that someone is taking the lead and we're just, we kind of sing together. If you listen to the way we sing our harmony, it's, it's not really, I find that it's not really a traditional way of doing it. Sometimes Kara will be in the melody and I'll be harmonizing right. and then we'll switch. And then sometimes we'll both sing harmony and then the, the melody is sort of Implied. Is implied, or it's up Bias. to you, the listener, to put it in there. That's a kind. Of, that's a trick. I think we we learned years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's really one way we do it. I think we are consciously or constantly telling ourselves how is this? How are we going to serve the song? Right. I think it sounds better if if you take the harmony, or I think it sounds better if you take the melody, or and then finding the keys. And the, oh, and the, the keys. Music. Yeah. And then when we're writing, as <coughs> Didi said, we we bring. We've either brought songs that we've written in the past, or there's a song that we're working on and we need we need help finishing it off. Like the "Oh My Love" song is a great example of a song that I could not finish, and JD and our friend we finished it off together and right. turned it into a song that I could never have imagined on my own having it be the song that it be, that it came today. Sometimes I've written a song with somebody and then JD to bring it to the small glories as he was saying you know we put it through the filter we put the small glory stamp so jd's influence ends up being on that song and same with a song that jd maybe wrote with somebody Mm. else i'll jump in i might not necessarily change uh i might not write the lyrics with them but i it ends up becoming a small a small glory song and then there's songs that we've written together so it's at some point you sit down in a room together and start from scratch from the beginning, we've, we've done that. We've done that a few times. Two times. Yeah. Um, and and one more thing that I'd like to say is that sometimes when you're recording, there's these things called happy accidents <laughs> that you're not expecting, and it, they just happen because someone directs you to do it, or or, or, or by fluke, something happened. So there was this one song that Kara had written and brought to the the group, and we had learned it all up. And I, and, and originally I was singing this harmony, and within the recording process, there was a, there was a, um, Kara had to be. Um, she was recording her guitar, I think, with some of the other uh, musicians, and they were throwing down this. Oh, we were laying track, the bed, the bed track, the bed track, okay. and and our producer was like, JD, like jump into the room and um, and and sing and sing the melody. Just so that we and knew what, so we would you know, know where I we was were like, okay, cool, whatever, and I'll just, I'll just sing whatever because I was singing to, track yeah, track like track. I was just singing. They just need to know where we are, where the, where the, mm-hmm. where the verses start and where the chorus starts and where it ends and yada yada. And so, and then I sang it, and then I, and I was just not thinking anything of it. And then I, and then we came out, and, and our producer was like, JD, you, you have to sing this song. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 this is, I, I can't do this. This is fucking, this is Kara's song. Like she's, you know, bled. This is her song. Like she's lived and breathed the song. You know, like no. And then Kara's like, yeah, you got to do it. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know if I can do that again. Like, cause it, you know, cause it was, it was sort of, it was very improvised. Yes. And and lo and behold, then we kept it. Worked. We kept it. And That's great. Which was we've actually never really sung it since. But. No, we have. But it's kind of an interesting way that when you're working in a group to learn how to be less precious about. Something that you've brought. So yes. That's my song. That's not what it's about for us anymore. It's mm-hmm. about, oh, this is a great song that really fits what JD and I are doing. Right. And we want to be, well, JD will often say, you know, our two voices, we have to kind of become one in a sense. Like we are a unit. And so if it works better for JD to sing the melody on that song or to kind of take it, 
then great, vice versa, if this really works better for whatever. But but really, we're supporting the song. Yes. We're serving the song. Yes. And in that situation was a great example of, okay, we're going to go this direction. And there's a certain amount of trust involved in that Absolutely. relationship, yeah. right? Knowing that when this person says this should happen, that it's coming yeah. from that place yeah. of truth, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think we're at this point, we've worked together long enough that we really do trust the other person as a person and as a musician and as a writer. Right. And, and then we also bring in people who we trust in the, in the recording process. So we've been working with this wonderful producer, um, Neil Osborne, who, who is kind of, he, he's not a typical producer in some respects, but he's also an incredible producer in that he is a writer himself. So he, he's the one who drilled into us. You got to serve the song. You got to serve the song. Mm-hmm. And so, when he suggests something, we're like, okay, we really should try this out because we do actually trust him. Right. Mm. And often leads us down a little path. Yeah, there's that great example. We had another song and it was fun and banjo and hand clapping and we would play it really fast. And when we were in our pre-pro, Neil was like, if you guys actually listen to the lyrics of this song, it's really, <laughs> it's really quite sad. sad. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to uh, play guitar, so no banjo. I want you to slow it down and then put it in a minor key. What? And they were like, yeah. I don't think that's, that's the right thing to do, but we'll try it. And so we tried it. And, and, and Kara and I we often reminisce about this moment. And as we were driving home to our comms that night, we were like, I think he's right. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's right. And then I think, I don't know if we did it ever in a show where we did it both we did both, both versions or not? I can't remember. Maybe it was just rehearsals, but um, but yeah, he was he was absolutely right, and we and we've let that go, you know, like we're not hung up on it. Has to be that. It way. has to be that. But that's the trick is you got to bring that person in who is able to have that um, unbiased. Yeah, kind of. They're they're they care because they care about the song. They yes. care about us, but they they're not emotionally attached to it. And so they can step outside and be mm-hmm. like, they can see it for the whole thing of what it yeah. is. And I feel like that's also what we're able to give to each other. If JD brings a song, I might be able to have a little bit more of a different, obviously a different perspective on the song than he would mm. and vice versa, right? right? And be able to say, actually, I think it, putting this line here or whether it's us or a producer suggesting it. Um, there, An and outside those, editor. Yeah, and it's yeah. not just it's not just some random person that we're like, hey, what do you think we should do with this song? Um, it's, that it's, would be weird. That, you know, because some people do have some people have you know opinions, <laughs> and they are going to tell you that, and that's fine. But we really we care about the song, and that's really what it comes down to is yeah. what. And it doesn't mean, and, and actually, that song that JD and I were just talking about, I have used that ex- example in certain songwriting classes and also editing classes to say hey, the song was written this way, I will play them the original, and then I will play them the edited version. And because they're so different. Something that you've written. Yeah, yes. or just as an example of like, yes. I, this is something that I, I've had experience with of being like, oh, this hurts my head. And it was a bit of an emotional journey to go down to kind of come to this other. And I really do think he was right in directing us. But I also think there's value in the original version too. And people... It's been interesting to share that experience to be like, hey, you don't need to be tied to one, yes. to one thing, um, but it really does say a lot about who you who you have in your corner in terms of helping you direct that project. I've heard songwriting 
teachers talk about being able to let go, like let this whole verse go. You have to be willing to do that. And, yeah, um, it's really hard. And it's yeah. a hard lesson it, to learn, right? Neil also had another way of uh, helping us edit by trying to say what you're saying, but do it in less, less words. Yes. Because you can find yourself just repeating yourself, or at least the idea or the theme or whatever, the image, you can you find yourself repeating yourself from verse to verse. It's like, you just said the same thing three times. Right. Take the first verse, get rid of everything, and then take that first verse. If it's four lines, make it two. Hmm. And see if, you know, and try to work it that way. And that and, yeah. and he he was, he's brilliant at that. Well, he's a pop, well, no, he's a rock writer and so that the i think the down not downfall that's not the right word the trap that folkies get caught in is that we like to put a lot of words in our songs we like to tell the whole story tell the whole story and and that's where i feel like his his background because he cares about the song and exactly what jd was saying is because he's used to writing pop rock songs that are shorter everything is concise and 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 you know just the image there yes and so for for him to kind of encourage us to maybe not step out completely away from our folky what are tendencies, but to to maybe just put it through a different filter a little yeah. bit and re- to re- re- revisit it. I yeah. guess. Yeah, and remind us that this song is not for us, but for the audience. So you have to have a lot of respect for your audience in the sense that they're gonna get it. You know what I mean? Uh, or they will get it in their own way. Yeah, yeah they'll, they'll get it in their own way. Exactly. And, but that's kind of what you want. Yes. Like you want everyone to have their own experience with this song. You don't want to... I don't necessarily want to funnel everyone down into this one idea. Although sometimes you do that. But again, you got to serve the song. Yep. Each song is its own little diamond and you want it to shine just the right way. But everyone's going to see it a different way. Let's talk about some songs. Okay. Your album of last year, Assiniboine. You got it. And yes. The Red. We worked yes. on my pronunciation earlier. <laughs> you win a prize, Mike. Thank you very much. Let's talk about a couple of these songs. Alberta. This is a love song to a place, right? Mm-hmm. That's one way of seeing it. If I'm hearing the song correctly, I might be wrong on this. This is my... <laughs> my version of the song this person is so taken with this place he's willing to leave someone behind do I have that right? yes can you talk about this one a little bit? well when we were writing this song it was out on the east coast we did this whole writing session in Cape Breton and we were given a theme of writing songs about where we're from or you know sense of home or place and what's happened in Alberta is so many people from other parts of the country particularly the east coast have moved to Alberta for work and they have these these kind of disjointed lives where sometimes the families will follow them out there or the whoever's working will go to the oil fields for four or five six weeks in a row and then they'll fly home to Cape Breton be with the family for three weeks and then they go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and so we were thinking about people who decide to stay when they stay in Alberta and what happens when the family decides that they don't want to come okay so it's a little bit of a heartbreak song but but talking about the power of a place um that you just once you get there you can't you don't want to leave it 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 grabs you and i i feel like some people have had that experience before where they've moved somewhere Um, i often talk about when i moved to winnipeg i didn't know what to expect because winnipeg doesn't necessarily have this like 
great people people make fun of Winnipeg in in Canada but it's got a real great um, history of culture and art I just didn't realize how much it would take me um, and make me want to stay so when I when I got to Winnipeg I was I was shocked that I was like wow I actually want to stay here even though BC I had just moved from British Columbia's most beautiful province in Canada you know I was yeah, from Alberta yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. like <laughs> all these other places that everybody wants to move to nobody wants to move to Winnipeg right um so it's a similar thing you know it's not just about Alberta it's about anywhere that you go okay. that you're kind of like I don't know if I'm going to stay here and then something grabs you right and you're willing to leave those other relationships you're willing to leave your family you're willing to leave your your history your past and create something new because whatever it is has has taken you and you and you need to stay and a lot of people talk about the geography of Alberta like it's it's quite stunning there it's it's a little bit of everything right you got flatlands you got prairies and foothills and rockies and but, yeah and so it's a love song of sorts and a, yeah. and a broken-hearted love song and um yeah what I like about it, well, what's, what's funny to me about it is that it's so sad that they, the two characters in the story decide to stay where they are. Because on the other side, too, his, if, he, if, if it's a guy and a girl, um, the guy stays in Alberta, but the girl stays on wherever she is, if it's on the East Coast or if it's in Ireland or whatever. Which is also just as just as beautiful. Just as beautiful. Like place. I can't yeah. believe here. This is how how beautiful this like is. The, the but what's funny to me is that what we've done at the end of the song, we yeah. go into this Yahoo part, and it's like <laughs> yeah, you know. And it's kind of funny because there's this this uh, this uh, this um, uh, odd thing where it's really sad. I'm gonna leave you, and we're gonna start our own lives. But then at the same time. We're going to start our own lives. This is going to be great. Embracing it, right? Embracing Mm, it. I sat down and I wrote to you. I said you should be coming. You're never going to see a sky so blue. Drapes of green in the northern sky. Wave like stars dance by Never thought I'd say it She stole my heart and it's easy to explain Alberta is her name Well, as long as we're talking about sad things, let's talk about Long, Long Moon, Mm -hmm. right? Tale of star-crossed lovers, maybe? I feel that it's 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 not necessarily perhaps it is star-crossed but but what it is is that these these two souls these two people have been together for a long time okay and that that they both respect uh for instance they both understand the job that is that is taking place here he is a fisherman and he goes out on the sea Every day. Every day. Mm-hmm. And they both get it. They both know that they're sort of living in this fragile existence where he has to go out and, and he's at the mercy of the sea. Yet it also provides them with their their life, their food and their way of life. He makes money doing that. 
And that, you know, and she respects that. She goes down and greets him at the end of the day. And, and that's the love, you know, like they are incredibly connected. Even after death, he, he dies out there. Right. But she cannot let him go. She goes down all the time and she sees him in everything that she sees. Mm. And it's the sea that she sees. I know, it's, 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 it's. But, you know, <laughs> the moon reminds her of him. And, and he, from, from on the other side of life, from the death, he is also uh, incredible, still connected through that love, through the memory, and, and it still sees her. And they're singing to each other. It's, mm. it's it kind of, it kind of uh, breaks mm. up when I think about it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But it, 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 it's not necessarily just star-crossed lovers. It's a little bit more than that. It's, yes. it's, they were star-crossed years ago, it's but they've lived it's their life for so long. Yeah. And she can't let him go, and he can't let her go from beyond the grave. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's it's so... It's it's a little dark, but it's a little bright. It's 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 just a, it's a. I think it's a it's an incredibly beautiful love song, and I love how it's just this banjo and voice. It's so. Yes. It's just it's, it's just it's stark. It's just it's so fragile and frail because life can be that way. That's, that's the next thing I, was, I have that written down. I want to talk Ooh. about the arrangement of this song because sometimes the simple hmm. arrangement can be the most meaningful, right? That's kind of what you're saying I here. think so. I think in the presentation and the performance of it, it is so powerful because there's just so much space. Right. And when you stand down on the edge of the ocean or on a wharf and you look out to the sea, it's nothing but space. There's nothing there. Just this gigantic sky and this seeming endless ocean, you know, of waves and whatever. And and I always picture myself in her looking out and knowing that he's out there somewhere, stuck and never coming back. And hard that would be. So there's, you know... um, This is a great example, too, of serving the song, right? Like bringing Neil in. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 we're not going to, we're really not going to touch this. Like the way you guys do this live, let's, we added a third voice right? Um, because we had written it with another woman. And we kind of think of the other voice as, um, as the sea is, or, or the moon. Or, oh yeah. I thought about that. There one. was something. I, yeah. And then we have a bit of Arco bass just to give that, give the, um, it's, it's tension. It's, it's emotion. Tension. Okay. But if you put too much bass in, you lose you lose that tension, right? Because then suddenly it becomes an integral part of the song. We don't want it, or it is an integral part of the song, but we don't want it to be a permanent part of the song. And I remember during the mix process, the mix engineer put more bass in, like Mm -hmm. in more parts. And Neil listened to it. He's like, no, 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 no. You got to take it out. Take it out. Take it out. (laughs) Only put it in these specific spots. And Mm -hmm. again, Mm -hmm. he was right because it created that anguish or that tension or that, there's a lot of there's a lot of ebb and this, flow this, in this song, song and, and yeah. there's these these really dramatic parts. And what I love about uh, Gilles is you hear that like that, just that bass, the, bass, the bowed yeah. bass, and it, it really is just like uh, you know you take that deep breath and and um, it, it's it's one of I think it's it's one of my favorite songs, and I love the harmony that we do. I love how it creates these two characters, these two souls. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I, really, I really love that song. I, I feel that it's, a, to me personally, I feel that it's a kind of a timeless song. It, mm-hmm. it, it could happen now. It could have happened 100 mm-hmm. years from now. It could have happened 500 years ago. 
in that same because that story is is it's a, so timeless it's a timeless story, story. It's, yes. it's, and it's a very real story uh, for anyone who lives on any coast. We wrote it on the east coast of Canada, but you go on any coast of any country, mm. and you're going to have similar stories, right? You know about the, the about the land and the sea and the people who live on. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorites too. Ancient stories are all coming true. song sing here at tell you what studios we believe in the power of music <laughs> it's one of our guiding principles and from listening to the song it seems like you all believe in that too um it seems to be a call to arms maybe in the tradition of pete Seeger, who you yes. said your parents were yeah um, totally a, it's totally a call to arms yeah so can you talk about this one yeah uh jd and i started writing this one with our friend Catherine mcclellan when we were out on the east coast and and it was the fall of 2017. So Trump had been uh, in, Trump got in, mm-hmm. and and the world was kind of looking very um, desolate a little bit. And there was a lot of uh, fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of, um, I don't know, us versus them a little bit. Right. And we felt we needed to write a song as a response. And I had been, been I don't know, for whatever reason, I had been... Th- J.D. and I have been talking a lot about the power of singing and looking at Pete Seeger in particular um, and how he was able to kind of create this this, uh, sense of community and togetherness with people who were on other sides of whatever issue. You know, you could have uh, African-Americans singing with white Americans. You could have people of different backgrounds and, and histories singing together and somehow that those those barriers are are broken down and so i I remember saying you guys we really should write a song about the power of singing oh so there we were writing going through and jd was like well let's write for these people and you know we're coming up with it was essentially a list song that's what we came up with and we sent it to neil our producer (laughs) and he said i hate to break it to you guys but this isn't a song and I was like, what do you mean it's not a song? And and he, we had this long conversation with him about what we were trying to say, but we hadn't really actually said it. Right. We only kind of scratched the surface. And he he was so moved by the potential of the song that he said, he went away with it. And, he, and, he, and he, I think it was a couple of days later, he's like, okay, I woke up one night and I finished writing the song. And he said, I kept the melody. I used a lot of your words. I knew exactly what you were trying to say. I think this is, and he presented it to us. He says, I think this is actually what you guys are trying to say. And I remember we read it and we're like, oh yeah, Yeah. he nailed it. He essentially nailed it. And he said, this is a song that Pete Seeger would sing. Sure enough, my dad, big Pete Seeger fan, he loves, he comes to all of our shows and he comes Mm -hmm. up to me and says, I love all your songs, Kara, but the one that you and JD do that I would actually cover is sing. There you go. And I was like, okay, we did it. (laughs) I remember him saying that it's it's not a song, and going really okay, <laughs> and then reading it and going okay, this is yeah, this is way better. Like just reading the lyrics, and then and then um, I remember trying like how the hell are we gonna sing this like because the phrasing is completely different, uh, and this and, and there was all these issues that I was thinking about. But uh, but but damn it, he was right. He was right. <laughs> he was absolutely right. Was and, right. And and we couldn't have uh, we couldn't have stumbled across a better 
a better song, I think. Um, we, 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 I think we've, we've really looked at it. And the, and the song is, is really touched a lot of people. Um, we find that it goes over very well down here in the States. People yep. are really um, moved by it. Um, people, people in Canada are moved by it too, but I feel like there's just, there's something about it that, that, um, that our American audiences are, are really uh, connecting the two dots to, um, this song. And it, and again, uh, in the presentation, it's very simple. It's very, there's nothing but really harmony and the words and the message behind it. Which again is could could not be more powerful. I don't mm-hmm. think. I think we could we could flood it with all kinds of uh, parts and instruments, and it would it would just there would be something that was lost mm-hmm. in it. Same for the suffering working slaves, cast in a debt they can never repay. Same for their oppressors who still believe. See the rest or them never harmony. Who forgot their cause Dignity for all Whatever the cost Who are looking at retirement Don't want to be poor But what about the children Ravaged by war I could sing for the money I could sing for the praise Spitting out nothing Wasting time up on the stage If folks are bleeding freedom And not their truth Let's talk about live performance. We have to touch on this because I happened to see you perform last night and it was remarkable. You seem to take great pride in your live performances and I see kind of a holistic approach. It it is not just about the songs. It is about a bigger picture you're trying to present with what you say in between the songs and your audience engagement. So can you talk about what you are trying to do with a live performance, what you think is important? First of all, I think we feel very lucky to do what we do. So when we get on stage, we just feel incredibly lucky. And we, we just want to share these stories and these songs with people. And, and, and like it's, it's, it's a great gig. Like, <laughs> you know, Karen and I both have individually have, have had many different jobs over the years, whether it's... If, whether it's planting seeds for trees or if it was sitting in front of a computer or, or doing historical stupid, stupid historical <laughs> this gig there's something about that's just very incredible and, and it's and we've been working towards this for a long time so we just feel very honored and lucky to do it so um we also know that um people pay to come and see us so we want to put on the best show that we possibly can we also know that people have different lives and there's so much craziness out there and people just when they come to shows i feel like when i go to a show i just want to be taken away to Mm -hmm. to be uh, escorted to somewhere else or just to be able to leave my reality at home and just to jump into something else and maybe have maybe be reminded of some things that are reality and something we should think about but but i'll just Mm -hmm. just to just to like get away from everything for a while and i think there's a that is part of um, how we do it. Yes. Um, well, we've been talking a lot about offering respite to yeah. people, a, a break from the stress of, of 
people feel stressed for many reasons and people are going through life changes, their job loss, moving, deaths in the family. There's anxiety on a political level, on a societal level. Like there's all this stuff. Raising kids. Raising, you know, there's a lot going on in people's lives, uh, personally and communally. And so part of our job is to be, it's okay. Let's all take a deep breath together. I love that we're not on our phones. You know, we're all engaged with each other. It's this kind of, it transcends a little bit. It's right. a bit, it, it, it takes us to this, I don't know if you're a spiritual person or not. It's, it just takes you to a different level and we're all in this together. I feel like there's this, there's an energy flow between JD and I, and yes. then there's an energy flow between us and the audience. It's not really about us and them. It's about everybody together. Yeah. Um, Let's talk are, about the energy flow between you. This was one of the remarkable things that I noticed. You do t tell stories in between songs, mm -hmm. anecdotes, they're engaging, but it is not as though you're taking turns telling stories. It is more like watching like a professional level improv act. <laughs> the, the the timing and the interplay you have when you're talking is remarkable. I'm sure this is partly honed by the hundreds of shows you've done together, but it seems like you connected on that level too, not just musically, but your ability to tell stories as a team, right? Don't you think that's... Uh, Absolutely, we we try to we try to we tell a whole bunch of stories uh, from, <laughs> from from our individual lives, but we we like we also like to tell stories that we both experienced something right. stuff that's happened to the small glories on the road, like we tell our Australia ballerina trophy story. Yes, that happened to both of us. We're both we're both at fault for that. <laughs> Not at fault, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Um, yeah, so like again, we're we try to as like as our a, a shared sensibility of some sort. Yeah, there, the way yeah, you that's kind of like what we want to do with the small glories is to is to to be there together. Yeah, it's not. Know? Yeah, because it's there, weird if it it's weird if JD's telling a story and I'm just I'm just listening. Right, I have to be engaged, and same with. You know, we're we're engaged. We have to support the other person in in what's going on. We're not a passive participant. We we really do have to be engaged with each other, and that's something that we've definitely we're natural storytellers individually, and that's something that we've really honed together and figuring out. Okay, when we introduce this song, what makes what makes sense, and how does that flow? Uh, what's the best flow for this? Is right. if you take the lead, and maybe I jump in a little bit, you know. And like JD said, we wanted to try to focus on things that that happened to both of us or that we can both engage in, in sharing with the audience. Well, it's remarkable. And it flows very naturally too. It does not seem like it is a studied presentation you're making. <laughs> so it, it really, really works. I can't recommend enough to anyone out there to try and catch one of your shows because you. the entire production, the entire show is just so engaging, entertaining. Thank you. Because um, it's not just the music. What do you say, Jade? It's the whole, it's the show. Is act, we act, what do I say? You say, it's the stuff that happens in between the songs. Oh, sometimes. yeah. There was this guy, we were playing in Saskatoon, in Saskatchewan, and at this great gig at Village Guitar and Amps, and um, we had halftime, and uh, he came back and was like, ah, I love the show. Um, I, had to, I had to wait until you were singing to use the toilet. And, we're like, and it was like, like, really? Wait, what? Oh, oh. Because he liked the story. Yeah, he, didn't want, he didn't want to miss anything. He didn't anything. want to miss anything. You know, I mean, really he could good. hear, you could probably hear the music <laughs> from the toilet, but... Uh, it's not something you ever 
here at another show. No, but so it so it goes to yeah. show that for us, it's really the whole thing. Yeah. It's like the moment we start to the to the talking, to the visiting with the audience. We often, it's so funny, often at the end of a show at a theater, for instance, we will go down and shake hands with people as they're leaving the show. Or we'll yeah, I feel like we're at a wedding we're or something. We're at a wedding or, or at church reception or something. Reception line. Funeral. Go and be with God. But there's something like. about having that... <laughs> that connection with people because we've yeah. just kind of had this whole evening together and it's not just the music it's not just the stories it's really the whole the whole night and so can we send them off with you know our gratitude yeah. and uh well, i'll tell yeah. you it works very well but i want to talk about one more song johnson slide mm. so i want to maybe if you can talk about this song in terms of how you see yourselves occupying a place in the living folk music tradition right so you so you draw on these traditional songs but you're also writing new music and how you see yourselves fitting into this living tradition and i think this song maybe is an example of how you're doing that with some of your original writing yeah well this song this this story didn't happen to us Mm -hmm. it happened to people uh that we know um i didn't we didn't know the people who passed know. away in this in this landslide, but we knew some people who were there, or who had been there soon after, or or got or, out, or before, who got, who out. got out. But this is also a story. Uh, it's a specific story, but this is the story that has happened time and time again. Uh, there's 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 a, there's a few stories of, of landslides in Canada, as there probably are down here in the states in the mountain states. Mm-hmm. I we just felt that this was a story that that needs to be uh, remembered. It needs to be told. You know, Canada's of course many different landscapes and there's many different stories of of how people have come and gone. But um, this uh, this is a, this is an important story of, of uh, uh, that people should know and, and people should remember. Carrying on that kind of like what you're saying, that folk tradition of telling. When you think about bards and folk singers, they are bringing the stories from other places. And JD, we often talk the about troubadour. The, the troubadour, right. you know, bringing stories from the town over. The town right. over, and like this is what happens. So I see that as a real old folk tradition. Right. And this is kind of a lot of these songs in this record are very kind of modern takes of story or right. like the storytelling, but that carrying that tradition forward. And actually, we're finding uh, quite a few of the songs. Um, you know, we're telling people about Canada, and especially down here in the States, we're giving people a sense of place right. and community. And so even though Johnson's slide happened in this remote, tiny community in this one region of British Columbia that most Americans have never been to. Or Canadians. Or Canadians, for that matter. Mm-hmm. But everybody can relate to it. They've either had a family member in a region that has been affected by some tragedy or... We've, we've often had people come up and say, your music makes us think of our home because you're telling stories about where you're from. And I think that's maybe the beauty of the folk singer um, over the years, over the traditions, is that, you know, there is this sense of, of community, whether it is your community or stories from another community. It's just bringing people together or yeah. having them think of their, yeah. of their people and their homes. There, there, there's a lot of... There's a lot of similarities in people. Just because you live in a big mm-hmm. city, or you live out in the country, there, there's some similarities there. I think I think people struggle with the differences. Uh, there's all sorts of issues that can go into that. But 
people hearing stories of uh, uh, like Johnson's slide, you can relate to it or at least respect it or can understand how mm-hmm. how brutal that could have been. How at one moment it was just incredibly gorgeous and beautiful and then the next moment it had all gone to shit. Yep. No. Then no matter where you came from, no matter where you've been, the valley of the lost souls will take you But it's darker than the dead soul in a devil's eye Lying in the belly of the Johnson slide I hate to say that's a good place to leave it after what you just, the story you just oh, told. Okay. But this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you guys taking the time. I can't recommend enough to our audience out there that they get out and see you perform live because that was such a remarkable show. And uh, thank you, thank you, Mike. I know you're going from here. You're going to be performing at, on the Mountain Stage uh, program yeah. in West Virginia. So by the time this episode is out there, hopefully people will be able to access that yeah, cool. recording. And I know that's a special treat for you all. Yeah, to be it's our first time. That. I'm excited. Okay, special surprise treat. Karen JD have agreed to play a little song for us here in the Tell You What Studios. We're going to see if we can make this happen. Have you decided what you're going to play? Do you know what you're going to play? Well, you got to get your guitar. we got to go get our stuff. It. We'll go talk about stuff. it. <laughs> we will be back in a second with a live performance here in the Tell You What Epiplex. Yeah, are we recording? Uh, this is a song called Secondhand. Three, four.